Welcome to the Front Office Exchange, where we take a look at the careers of executives and rising stars within the sports business. Now, here's your host, Jake Failing. This is episode 28 of the Front Office Exchange podcast, where today we'll hear from Josh Brickman. Vice President of Strategy for the Boston Bruins and TD Garden. Now, I met Josh through Russ Scabetti, and if you listen to the latter on episode 21, then you know what to expect here. Josh is super bright, and the Bruins and TD Garden are clearly in good hands with him as it relates to their business intelligence and strategic marketing efforts. Josh is not even five months into his role there, so we discussed his relocation to Boston and what makes that city not only special, but different from his previous stops. He talks about his early career with Turnkey Sports and Entertainment, which equipped him with broad-based sports business strategy and research experience that he then leveraged later in his career with Monumental Sports and Entertainment in Washington, D.C. That was the stop before Boston, and he's now using that experience in Boston as well. So without further ado, Josh Brickman of the Boston Bruins and TD Garden. Josh Brickman, thank you for joining us on the Front Office Exchange. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. Was excited to be referred to you by Russ Scabetti. We had a great episode together, and he spoke very highly. Um, an, another kind of business strategy research uh, in the uh, the data world as well. So first, let's start with your vice president of business strategy uh, for TD Garden and Boston Bruins. And before we started recording. I asked you to kind of explain that and how the Celtics work in. So could you talk through that and then a little bit about your role as well? Sure, of course. So um, still very new here. I've only been here for about three months. But the way that our operation works is the Jacobs family owns the Bruins, and they have for a number of years. The Jacobs family also owned Delaware North um, based out of Buffalo. Um, and as part of that ownership group, they have – or that corporation, I should say – they own a number of different um, entities and properties, including um, TD Garden, as well as sports service and uh, a variety of other areas as well that they focus on. Um, but the garden is owned by Delaware North, whereas the Bruins are owned by the family. Um, within the garden itself, we do have other tenants, including, of course, the Celtics, who are a tenant of ours, a very valuable tenant of ours, um, and one that um, we work very closely with. So you're three months in. How's it been? been great um finally got out of uh you know hopping around a little bit we moved into our family's house last week okay um which is good um and so it's a bit of continuity now in terms of my daily commute and sort of a, a bit of a comfort of, of process which is very very important to what i do um and it's been it's been going really well these last few months of learning the business and learning the staff and learning the goals and learning the uh the the route to which we're going to achieve those goals. So it's been a really, really fun experience for me. Now you're a, you're an East Coast guy, Northeast primarily, but this is your first stint in Boston. Is that correct? That is true. Yes. So you mentioned um, the personal and professional yeah. side. So so you touched on the personal a little bit. Uh, the move it sounds like has gone well. And how is Boston different from your other stops? I mean, you've been in all the big cities now on the East Coast and Northeast, but you know Boston's different. Boston is different, and I, I, I'm not yet qualified, I think, to give an answer um, because of the way, um, because of the way I, I, I handled with my family situation. We were doing a lot of weekends back in D.C., so I, I'd like to say that I worked in Boston, 
or I do work in Boston, but I don't live in Boston. Um, now I do. So for the last week and a half, I have my Boston experience background that I can speak to, but definitely not at a point where I can speak to that with any good certainty. Uh, Philadelphia, which I lived in for four years, was a great city. D.C., which I lived in for five and a half years, was, was a great city. I'm sure Boston is going to be just as great, but if not greater. Um, but I definitely can't speak to that quite yet. Yeah, you, you've checked all the boxes there uh, on the East Coast. Yeah, you mentioned that. I was yeah. thinking, I'm like, major cities in New England, in the Northeast. I was like, yeah, I guess, but like, well, I guess not New York. I haven't lived in New York yet. Okay. But um, but yeah, that's a lot of them. Those are the big ones. Yeah, it is. So talk about your day-to-day. Again, I'm not going to hold you your feet to the fire here. You're three months in. Uh, but sure. what does the vice president of business strategy do? Now, I know you're coming off the heels of holding – you know, strategy and research roles in monumental sports. And we'll get to that. But what is a, a, I'm not going to ask a typical, typical day to day, but you know, what does that role entail? So I think the core sort of responsibilities of my group and my role are, are really, really tied to two main areas of our business. One is marketing and one is revenue and they're intrinsically tied in in and of themselves. But as it relates to our, um, our, our revenue side of things that, that ties into our ticket pricing and our ticket strategy in terms of how we work with our season ticket members and how we price our individual game tickets and what sort of offers and membership programs we put together um, with the rest of our team. Um, we have our, we have our dedicated sales and service staffs that, that, play a much larger role in it than, than any one person does. Um, and they're very, very important to how we sort of manage our priorities and understand our consumers and what their interests and re- reservations are. Um, but then it's the marketing side of things. And it's not only traditional marketing in and of itself as it relates to, you know, perhaps a, a, a print ad or a sign on the street or whatever that may have been. Historically, it's it's really the digital marketing is where my group is focused. And so that ties into channels such as social media and, and our websites and our mobile app strategy and really our data strategy and looking at how we're measuring and pulling in data from those different channels, as well as those channels and data sources that we have in our building. So when you're talking about parking and ticketing, concessions and merchandise, understanding how our consumers are interacting and getting to the point where they will be able to use, where, where, sorry, where our team will be able to use that information to give better offers to our consumers. Okay. And you're coming to this role on the heels of your Monumental experience. And for those that aren't familiar with Monumental, that's the company that sits over many sports teams, but you know the big ones, the Wizards and the Capitals. Did the Boston group, did they really hone in on candidates for this position that had that kind of multi-sports, multi-property experience? You would have to ask our hiring manager. Right. But, um... <laughs> I wasn't involved in deciding who they talked to, but um, I, I do think that certainly had a had a feather in my cap towards my candidacy, just due to the fact that I had been through some of the challenges and opportunities and, and decisions that um, that a company like Monumental has gone through is not too too dissimilar from that here in Boston. So I certainly think that helped. Yeah, I, I guess more to the, just the point of you know, are there many examples of companies like that that sit over multiple properties? You know, I just wonder. You know, obviously yeah. Monumental being one, and the group you're with now. Yeah, I mean, you, there's not a lot of us. I mean, yeah. you think about um, you think about companies like Madison Square Garden Group with with the Rangers and and the Knicks and and the building. You've got Cronky Sports out in Denver with the Avalanche and the Nuggets, and then you've really got Toronto up up in Canada and Toronto. Uh, sorry, Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment with with the Raptors and uh, the Maple Leafs in their building as well, the Air Canada Center. That. Um, are really uniquely positioned to sort of own that vertical from street to seat sort of experience. And that's really, I think, what sets across 
the, the industry, that difference between a lot of other venues. Sure. Now let's go back and talk about how you got to this point. So you, you had sure. several internships, like I think many in the sports industry did, uh, you know, I did for sure. Uh, and then mm-hmm. you leverage those into, uh, it looks like two strong careers, one with turnkey and then monumental. And now, you know, you see these roles in analytics and strategy, strategy and research, you know, they're very common, but, um, you know, I have to think that some of those, especially early on at Monumental, you know, those were some of the first in the industry, really. And in, did your turnkey experience kind of help lead into that? Absolutely. Um, the The experience that we had as as members of the turnkey team were um, such that it gave us a, a window into really what the industry was doing. So um, when I first started at turnkey back in 08, I guess, 2008, right. I was um, responsible for working on the team for our surveys and, and our consumer surveys were you know very much of a similar mold where they are today, where it's how did you like this experience and what was important to you and what didn't we do well and what did we do well? And how likely are you to renew? Like simple sort of stand, not simple, but standard questions, powerful questions that could really shape the direction of a team. But we would see that information and we would be able to understand what the market was interested in, what the teams were interested in, how that was important to them, which I think then tied into the decision of our company at Turnkey to invest in a way to help bring leads to the table, to the forefront. We had messy data. All teams had messy data. And it was often a situation where a salesperson would get on the phone and say, oh, this guy lives in Boston, so he must be local. He must be a sports fan of the Bruins. We're going to give him a call. and He's in our database, so he already has somehow gotten in. We're going to give him a call with no real insight into maybe perhaps how much money he made a year, what his education level was, whether he owned or rented his home, or how, um, how many games he'd been to over the last couple months. What we tried to do at Turnkey and what we built at Turnkey was this product called Prospector, which was regression modeling um, for, um, for a lot of people modeling and, and, and analytics can be somewhat scary, but for the purposes of what we were doing, we were basically apply, applying the proper weights to the, to the components that mattered. And every model would be slightly different. Um, and that would mean that when we were building a model for the Bruins, you know, proximity from the stadium might be more important than somebody from, you know, I don't know, the Milwaukee Brewers, um, just because maybe it's easier to get around in Milwaukee than it might be in Boston. And so that would be a different sort of weight to the measurement of, of the model score that we were presenting to the teams. And that became an incredibly popular and successful tool that would allow teams to be able to prioritize who they should call first. Um, so building out that sort of regression modeling for the purposes of lead scoring very, very quickly turned into building in a regression modeling as it related to retention, as it related to scoring and, and tiering our games. So when we would get a schedule from the NBA or the NHL, as I had tra- transitioned over to Monumental, we could take a variety of factors like gate receipts, playoff appearances, star players, month of the year, day of the week, et cetera. And I determine and understand, you know, what teams were really going to be the big draws for the upcoming season. So that when we were pricing out our games and pricing out our schedules, we were able to use that data as a, as a, as a tool in our, in our tool set of understanding where we should be making business decisions. So building out those models initially that were originally designed for understanding who our reps should call ultimately would lead to us being able to identify which game on a Wednesday night in April, what that, what that should be priced at and how we should be determining who we should be targeting for those games to attend. Wow, really so. interesting. <laughs> no, and you know, I, I used to work in baseball, and obviously, Moneyball and the and the data um, 
driven decisions that really started to be made and are, are now made in almost every front office. But, you know, you've got that war, essentially, not to sound too dramatic, yeah. but between that and then the, quote, old school scouts, you know, who go in and like, I, I, you know, you're not going to be able to uh, tell these guys who sit and watch pitchers and catchers and everybody that they know better than them. So I wonder on the business side, do you run into that as well? Are there front offices? Are there groups like Monumental and then just ownership groups in general that say, you know what, we know best, this marketing is tried and true? Or now is it like, look, this is black and white now. This is what works. This is what doesn't. Um, there is always... Huh. That's an interesting question because I'm thinking back to earlier in my career, again, back in the turnkey days, um, where you, this war was, as you stated, it was still relatively new, right. but I think through my career as I was at Monumental and talked to teams throughout those leagues and in, in, in the NBA and the NHL and elsewhere, there is a growing and growing acceptance and reliance and understanding of the importance of data. So when I was talking about the example with regards to scoring a season in terms of understanding what you should be rating a game, say, on a one to five scale in terms of the top tier game being, say, in basketball, Golden State Warriors or the Cleveland Cavaliers in the bottom tier game, I'm not going to give a team. But the real value is not in these models, is not understanding that Golden State is a top tier team or Cavaliers are a top tier team. The real value in these types of models is getting the middle of the pack right. Because if you misprice a game, you know, a mid-tier game, you could be off by a couple hundred thousand dollars. And that's real money. And that sort of gut instinct and historical sort of precedent that's being done based on institutional knowledge is usually right. What the data and what models perhaps bring to the table is just an extra level of checking and balancing and making sure that you're taking into consideration as much as possible to make as good of a decision as possible. So maybe you still miss on one game a year or maybe two games a year, but you're not going to miss it maybe as four or five games a year. Right. And that's really where I think the difference in data and the acceptance with data has gone into play. And you can always go back and you can look and see how you did and measure how well you performed against that so that in year two, you're even more confident with your, with your assessments. Has this always been the track that you wanted to go in sports business, this side of the business? Or, you know, has this always been what you've wanted to do? No, definitely not. Okay. Um, I was a avid sports fan like most kids um, probably were. And, you know, I would you know, look at the sports page first when I was a kid. I wasn't looking anywhere else, but I was looking in the box score. And I want to say, oh, how many points did Michael Jordan score last night? Or how many points did Larry Bird score last night? I had no idea this side of the business existed. And I didn't know that side of the business existed really until I got into college and really not until my senior year. Um, when I happened to stumble into a course with, um, I was an economics student and my economics advisor and the athletic director at Lehigh University, uh, World College Pals, and they were co-teaching a course on, on the business of sports. And it was an eye-opening opportunity to really blend a passion that I had for sports and the, you know, kind of educational and academic rigor that I had with regards to economics and really marry those together. And it was just a light bulb going off. Um, and very quickly, I, I threw myself into the industry, read as much as I could. There were a number of great authors out there that I loved to read at the time. But as important as anything else, you know, publications like Sports Business Journal and, and bloggers and other sort of authors that would write about the sports business was just like gold from heaven for me. It was just like, this is so interesting. I don't know why I didn't know about this before. Um, so very, very quickly, I, I, 
I repositioned myself away from kind of a concept of going towards a career in finance or going towards a career in, you know, governance. And I was also an international relations major, um, understanding this is where my passion was and this is where I was going to push my career. And so, um, after that, during that senior year, I should say, of, of, of college, I was able to become an intern within the athletics department. Our athletic director was able to um, kind of create, and internally grateful to Joe Sturt for this, for creating a position within the athletics department as a graduate assistant, um, which allowed me to be able to continue my economics career, but also work for the athletics department and the sports information group. And so I worked with Jeff Toriel and Mike Stagnita and, and Steve Lomangino about really what a, not a small time college program, but, you know, not a Ohio state and not a university of Florida or Michigan sort of program where it's, you know, you kind of do everything. You're a small enough group. It's not too dissimilar from let's say a minor league sport in some areas where you've got to be responsible for doing the public address announcements for the lineups for the baseball game. And you've got to be able to be the one that's doing the halftime promotions on the court for the halftime shot during a basketball game. And you've got to help set up the signs for a field hockey game. And getting that experience was so, so incredibly valuable and such a great, great opportunity for me. And it was awesome. It was just a great, great, great tool in my career kind of growth. Sure. And now it makes complete sense that Russell was the one that introduced me to you. <laughs> I'm sure the two of you, when you get together, I, I mean, you, you guys are both just leaders in that space. And I'm sure over the years, you've seen incredible developments. So, you know, that's my next question is, did turnkey, is that really where, um, you feel like your career, your learning uh, really took off because, you know, as I look at it, you joined them in 2008. And uh, to your point, that's when the acceptance really hit a tipping point. That's fair. Um, I, I think what what really positioned me well for the opportunity to become, you know, the um, the sports player that I was at Monumental was my experience at Turnkey. And it was really tied back to my ability to build and create models and understand data and then vocalize and communicate that data to others, um, the results of that. And, you know, funnily enough, my first experience with turnkey in person was in their offices in Haddonfield, New Jersey. And, um, I, I was there as an intern with the Eagles, um, with, with my boss. And we were talking about kind of the survey plan for the, um, for the upcoming season for the Philadelphia Eagles. And, um, in comes Len Perna, the owner of, of Turnkey, and he has my resume in his hand. And I wasn't entirely sure at the time why that was the case, but he did. Um, and on my resume at that time was that information about um, regression modeling that I did as a project in grad school for trying to predict the outcome of a Lehigh football game, just based on a variety of different factors like yards gained and touchdowns sure. and turnovers and all that sort of stuff. More on the player side, but he was like, he understood, and, and I think others in the group understood the, the reliance and the, the fundamentals that go into building a model like that are not dissimilar from building any other type of model um, in, a, in a regression sort of mindset. So he saw that opportunity to bring somebody with my skill set and ultimately actually one of my other really good friends uh, in the industry, David Highhill, um, who works for the NFL, uh, also went to Lehigh with me, also was on the crew team with me. Um, he was hired shortly thereafter at, at kind of a recommendation based on we need people like this that can do this, that we can ultimately leverage that sort of knowledge and mindset into the next stage of where we want to bring turnkey from an analytics perspective. So when I was going over to Monumental, my experience building models and communicating that data was really, really tied to that turnkey experience and really tied to that paper I wrote in grad school um, for an economics project. And turnkey's got an interesting business model. So you've got this data, this research side, uh, but then also it's a search firm. 
Um, so could sure. you kind of explain the business a little bit? Well, I was certainly in no no position to um, to make decisions on the business, but you know, from my perception, you're absolutely right. They would be responsible for bringing in executives at all levels into organizations. That was one area of their business, certainly a very important one and a lucrative one. Um, but the other side of it was sort of the day to day and the operational of how you can use their tools to better better further your business and. I'm I'm sure that um, the relationships they had on the executive side had a reason for you know the products on the business side as well, but um, that was not something I was involved in by any means. Um, but it was probably a uh, fortuitous circle. No, certainly. I just meant more in terms of educating <laughs> listeners uh, what Turnkey offers. Yeah. Um, and then you were recruited from there to Monumental, and you know for you yeah. that meant a move. South, but not far, down to D.C., right. um, but kind of outside of that agency world. And, you know, I know you were working directly with teams there. So, you know, kind of walk through that uh, that mindset, maybe the decision you made from a personal and professional uh, perspective um, for that move. Yeah, sure. So I think we maybe glossed over just a little bit. My internship opportunity with the Eagles was really that of, you know, being on the marketing team and being on the marketing research team with um, a team, a team that was beloved in the marketplace in Philadelphia and um, win or lose, there was always a lot of passion there. Um, working at an agency, the Eagles were a client. Um, so were the so were the Wizards and so were the Capitals. And for a matter of fact, so were the, so were the Bruins here. Um, but that also meant so were all of their competitors. And so if I was a Red Sox fan um, and I wanted to cheer for the Red Sox in my own sort of time, um, I would also be doing that with the knowledge that the Yankees were a client of ours as well, a turnkey. And so the idea to kind of win and lose with that sort of team and that kind of ebbs and flow of a season was something that I didn't realize I would miss when I left the Eagles to go to turnkey. Um, and so that was what I was missing when I wanted to go back to a team and, and monumental fit the bill. Well, obviously they had multiple teams. And so that was a really, really important differentiator for me to leave that agency side of the business and go towards a, a, a team experience. When you were there, had you paid attention to the group in Boston? You know, I just wonder, I'm sure everybody's, uh, the way they go about things is proprietary and there's proprietary yeah. algorithms and <clears throat> things like that. You know, I just wonder if then and even now, if you say, you know what, somebody in the industry that, wow, they just really do a good job or that somebody, sure. a team that people model themselves after. Well, so it's interesting, you know, our industry is so small um, that when I was considering this role here in Boston, there were a number of conversations I would have with colleagues at vendors, colleagues at other teams, colleagues at this organization as well that would shoot it straight and let me understand what was happening. And, and that's not only something that I or any of us would really leverage just for a job change. It's talking about whether it's a ticketing provider or an app company, or um, it's a even going to a conference, like you've been to this in the past, is it worthwhile going? Like this industry is so small that you can shoot an email out or pick up the phone and have a conversation and get as much information as perhaps legally available um, to really understand and inform your own decisions in the market. You know, why we, while we certainly do compete on the ice or the court or the field or, or whatever, we're not competing usually for that same customer. So for somebody in Sacramento or somebody in Orlando or somewhere in anywhere in between 
to tell me a little bit about how they do some things that's not going to impact their business in any in any way, shape, or form. Um, you know, it's very above board. We respect obviously confidentialities and all that sort of stuff, but the opportunity to sort of just bounce ideas off each other is something that's incredibly important to me in my career, and one that I encourage many of my staff to maintain um, themselves in their own professional circles. Now, just to give listeners a better sense of this side of the business, uh, you know, one, who do you or who does this side typically report up into? Is it a chief marketing officer or head of ticket sales or something like that? And then two, for someone maybe that's either coming out of school or maybe looking to transition their career, you know, super bright, good with numbers, finance, but wants to get into sports, it's been a dream. What do you look for? Or maybe what have you seen on this side of the business in terms of, you know, again, people coming out of school with X background or two, someone that's been in X industry that's looking to transition? So to answer the first question, I report into our chief revenue officer um, at Monumental. I, re- I reported in initially to our, our VP of ticket sales and service who ultimately Jim Van Stone, who uh, was a great boss and mentor for me, um, who's now the, the bit president of, of, of Monumental Sports in the, in the kind of the business commercial operations area. Um, so really, really tied to that marketing and, and revenue side of the organization. Um, for individuals that are looking to get in and looking to either come up through the industry in this area or transition their skill sets from another industry, both of which are, are good avenues. That's fine. Um, we, uh, we tend to look for people who are bright kids that are able to really speak well, communicate well, and synthesize data from a variety of different means. And they've got to be able to sort of build a process and understand, you know, the speed at which Data is, is, is important to making decisions on a daily basis here in an organization, whether we're going to spend money with Facebook or Google, or we're going to put money towards this game or that game, or we're going to raise this price or lower that price. Those sort of decisions happen in real time because, you know, once the puck drops on tonight's game, we're not selling tickets for tomorrow's game um, or for that game anymore. We're, we're now moved on to the next game. Um, and so... Um, there is a speed with which individuals need to be able to work, but I think important uh, more than anything else is really just a comfort with data. You, you mentioned it before. It's there's no war. It's it's not certainly that that contentious by any means. Um, I know you were saying that in jest, but right. you know that is that is such an important part. The data conversation, being able to still talk with an understanding that it's not black and white. There's a ton of gray in terms of how. Um, our business is done and how many businesses are conducted throughout many industries that it's it's important to understand both sides, synthesize the the information and really kind of percent consensus. Now, um, uh, no, to go yeah. with that, and you mentioned Facebook and Google a little bit, is there a, a nut that's been yet to crack um, like an area of data that, you know, you're still trying to mine or maybe some that's not just perfect to get that, you know, you're hoping – you know, the industry over the next one, two years maybe gets a better hold of because it's going to help you with ticket sales and so on? Identity. And it's one that we're constantly working on. It's one that we're working on here. And what I mean by that is when you come into our building as a as a fan, full stop right there, we may have no idea who you are. If you come, if, if I was to bring you and me and three other people to the game, in most scenarios, I might just show up at the door and have all those tickets in my hand and hand them to the ticket taker. And then we'd all just walk in together and I hand those tickets off to each and one, every one of you. Um, we have no idea, Jake, that you're here with me. We have no idea that you, you, you brought three friends with you. Um, 
unless they take other actions. And so what we're working on doing and what a number of organizations are working on doing is trying to understand that person a little bit better, whether they're digitally transferring their tickets from uh, from the Ticketmaster account or their SeatGeek account or whoever's account they might be, StubHub, whatever. Um, that allows another layer of identity, understanding, okay, now this person's received two tickets of the five. So we now know that two of those five people are accounted for. Um, and then we have the opportunity for somebody to buy parking. We have the identity that we can glean from that. Concessions, merchandise, um, what they might be doing on our website or receiving emails. Or There's so many different ways that people are providing or, or, or interacting with our data sets that are disparate. And the idea and the goal and the stated goal of really my kind of tenure here is to bring that together so that we understand who's in our building and who's transacting with us. And that's such a huge, huge opportunity and challenge and really, again, opportunity that um, is so incredibly important to our industry. Because if you're going to get to that next level of getting somebody to buy, you know, an extra hot dog or an extra Pepsi or an extra Coke or whatever it may be, um, you've got to make sure that you're giving that offer to that person at the at the right time. You know, the concept of spray and pray, as it's sometimes called, is we're just going to give this on-sale offer to everybody because who knows, they might be the one to get it. And it might be it might be relevant to them and they might buy and they might be interested. That really can't work anymore when you've got so many different people communicating with trying to grab your time and so many different alternatives for your discretionary income. You've got to make sure you're hitting those people when they're ready to make a purchase. You've got to make sure that you're hitting them with the offer that's most relevant to them. If you're sending me a family pack offer and I'm a single guy, I'm probably not interested in that. And that's a real miss. And you only get so many of those strikes before they're just going to tune out completely. And so understanding who that consumer is and understanding that identity of who those fans are is so incredibly important to our industry moving forward. Now, does For your side of the business and with the unique situation that we've talked about where you've got the basketball fans – entering into a venue that's also putting on hockey games. Um, are there plans, projects, things in place, and maybe that's been the case for years now, where you try to capture that Celtics fan who maybe has never even tried the Bruins and you want them to give them a shot? Yeah, there's certainly some of that. And, you know, that's definitely part of you could even ignore the Celtics piece. You could just say, talk about a concert goer, somebody who went to a Justin sure. Timberlake concert. That's a good point. And bought a suite. And, you know, usually those individuals that are buying, uh, renting a suite for a night, they're not necessarily there for the, the act itself. It's maybe a business ex entertainment experience. Um, and so there's an opportunity to say, hey, maybe you had a great time at Justin Timberlake. Did you know you can come to a Bruins game and have a similar type of experience? Um, those sorts of cross-marketing opportunities across different sort of properties is, is absolutely something that we're working towards doing and do already. Um, those sort of client overlaps are definitely part of our business model now. Um, and it definitely translates to other areas and other tenants that come in our building, whether you're talking about a Disney on ice versus a family pack. A Disney on ice attendant is probably somebody with a family. And so if we have a family <laughs> pack offer with the Bruins, it makes a lot of sense to market that product to them. No, I, I can vouch. I've, I've been there, and I'm sure the Hornets have capitalized on that. Um, <laughs> yeah, they do well down there. Yeah, we, we, love, we love going to those games. Um, so you mentioned you know, what you look for um, in candidates, whether they're, again, right out of school or maybe making a career transition. You mentioned yourself showing up with or having a resume that had a – um, a business plan or, or something along those lines laid out to it that jumped uh, to the forefront for Len. What advice 
maybe do you have for those people seeking employment? And then two, uh, any advice that you've received that you wouldn't mind sharing as well? So echoing back to really when I became passionate about this business of sports that we all find ourselves in, read everything. Read everything you can, not only about the company that you're potentially interviewing with, but their competitors in the market, the competitors and in, in, in partners in the league, who they're actually working with and who they're not, and try to understand as much as you can about a business before you go and, and have a conversation with them. Because then you just look like you understand what you're talking about. Um, that goes for any industry, obviously. Um, you want to be competent. You want to be somebody who's going to bring something to the table rather than a, a resource train. Um, that's really probably the best advice I ever received as an intern is be an asset. Don't be, a lot, don't be an expense. Um, and you know, add value by showing up and asking how you can help and doing your job incredibly well. And you know, all those sorts of things make it really, really hard for people to get rid of you. They might, they might still get rid of you at the end of the internship or the end of the entry-level job, but the, uh, um, if you make it a difficult decision, maybe they'll be, and likely will be willing to help you moving forward. I think that was the answer to your two questions. Okay, okay. <laughs> hey, no, that, that's great. That covers both. Um, and then, yeah. you know, you mentioned identity, and that and that's a key for you. Um, you know, typically I ask, what's next for you? What's next for your team, um, TD Garden? Um, is that really your focus right now, or is there anything else that we can look forward to coming from uh, your team up there? Yeah, so we're weeks, if not months, months, if not weeks away from launching um, a brand new, you know, kind of data analysis platform with SaaS, which is going to really help us tie together those identity pieces. And that's going to be a process that's going to extend for years to come, if not decades to come, and trying to bring together that data and understanding. Um, so that will be here soon. And hopefully when we are there, we will be able to start making those informed marketing decisions that we plan on making. Um, but that also is, is leading to a new email service provider with Eloqua that's leading to a new app platform um, as well. And, you know, there's, there's a number of initiatives that we're undertaking that are going to be incredibly impactful to helping us drive revenue, drive engagement and drive identity for a business across the Bruins and the Garden. Yeah, that's another uh, North Carolina group up in Cary. I don't know if you've uh, yeah. been to their site there. I mean, the campus is unbelievable. Uh, getting... I haven't been yet, but I know they have a lot of M&Ms. They have a lot of M&Ms. So just have them put you up in the Umstead the next time you're there. That's a little pro tip from a North Carolina. Okay. Uh, no, but Josh, hey, I really appreciate you coming on. This insight has been great. You know, it's a, a great piggyback from the, the episode with Russell as well. And it sounds like you haven't been busy at all professionally or personally <laughs> since you uh, made the transition. So uh, I wish you the best of luck and, and thank you for sharing uh, your career and, and some advice with the listeners. Yeah, this was great. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Front Office Exchange, where you hear about the careers of some of the leading executives in sports business. Visit us at frontofficeexchange.com, on Facebook, at Front Office Exchange, and on Twitter, at Front Office E-X-C-H, to access past episodes, show notes, and much, much more. 